We've been talking about three main things. And I'm just going to do a real quick review because we're not going to talk about them today. Uh, we're just doing a little update. So next week when you come back and bring all your friends and family, we can pick up where we left off. But we're going to talk about communion since we're having communion service tonight. Uh, but the three main things, the three is conception, uh, gestation, and then manifestation or birth, whichever way you want to call it. But the same way and the same things that take place to accomplish birth, uh, children in birth is the same way we accomplish the promises of God. There first has to be a seed conceived. There has to be conception. The word has to get in your heart and has to be planted in you. The scripture says that our soul is saved by the implanted word of God or the implanted word of God is able to save our soul, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotion, and our will, our way of thinking. And so the word of God, if it gets in your heart, it, it is conceived. And there's great pleasure in that. Just like in natural childbirth or that process, there's great pleasure in God made it that way. Matter of fact, we discussed several weeks ago how many children would be born if it wasn't pleasurable to go through the process. See, God created pleasure in that way so we would give birth and multiply and reproduce ourselves. And that's why the scripture says, in Him there's pleasures forevermore. Because in His Word, the Scripture says when the Word gets in your heart, joy springs forth. That's pleasure. It's pleasurable to feel joyful and happy. and It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a part of... Most, most church don't talk like this. Oh, you've got to be stiff. you got to be... No, that's the life of God. That's the way God wanted it to happen. Is that when you get the Word of God in you and you... Oh, oh. Matter of fact, look what happened to Mary. She got the Word of God in her. She conceived the word and then you can read about Mary's song she says my soul rejoices because my spirit has already magnified you know what I'm saying so she already knew something had taken place she had conceived the word and then she brought uh, through the process of gestation and it's a period of time now us charismatic uh, Americans in church then we want to go from conception to manifestation quickly you know what I'm saying? But there is a God's plan. The way God plans it to be done is that the process of gestation takes longer than the conception. Amen. And women, aren't you glad that the process of delivery doesn't take as long as gestation? Nine months. No, it happens, you know, to each their own, but, you know, fairly quickly compared to gestation. Nine months for gestation. Now, I'm not saying it takes nine months for God's Word to manifest into your life, but what I'm saying is there is a process that you're responsible to go through to make sure that you're bringing in those three main things that we talked about uh, for every woman to go through because the woman takes care of herself. She's not taking care of the seed. She's taking care of her health so she can carry the seed. The seed is taking care of itself. And I love what we, remember how we started talking about this? We started talking about um, how we're the seed of Abraham. Aren't you glad we're not the seed of Moses? You know what I'm saying? 
I'm glad we're of the seed of Abraham and not the seed of Moses because God, in the very beginning, when, in the book of Genesis, when God said every seed is going to reproduce after its own kind. So an Abrahamic seed, uh, a seed of believing in God because what he said, God wants to reproduce that in his garden many fold over. He doesn't, he doesn't want to plant a seed of Moses. He wants to plant a seed of Abraham, a seed of believing. He wants this world full of a family that believes in him and that he can believe in. It's a beautiful sight. It's a beautiful thing. We also talked about how the children of Israel, when they didn't cross over into the, uh, they didn't cross the Jordan River into the promised land, but they went back for 40 years to live in what we called provision land. And that's where I believe the church is at today, is that they're living in God's provision instead of His promises. We're over here, it's just enough, just, get, just enough to get by, to get my, give me my daily bread, give me my daily manna. But see, God's will for you, His pleasure for you, is not to live in daily necessity, but to live in promised land living that flows with milk and honey. The scripture says there's going to be fields that, that, that we're going to harvest that we didn't even sow for. It's just already out there. The promises of God are yes and amen. Everything that pays life and godliness is already yours. But not over here in provision land. See, provision land, you just had to do just enough. You had to be in the right spot, the right place to get the right manna every day. Over here, you could just walk in the cool of the evening and just be with God and you be his son and he, you, and he be your daddy and just love each other. That's why Jesus said, love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. That's how simple Christianity really is. Amen? And so we went from this mindset and how they were supposed to go to this mindset and how this is the new covenant. This is the old covenant. And so we're going to pick that back up. That's a real short introduction to what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue with that. And, but we had to do that because now we're going to start talking about communion since tonight is Communion Sunday. And the way we do that, we do it, uh, even though we may do communion more than once a year, this time of the year, I can't think of a better time to do it the way we do it. At, it's the last Sunday of the year, or the last service, before the year end to start the new year. And when we find out well, what happens is, uh, we have fellowship in the foyer, and we'll bring you in here one at a time. If you're here by yourself, you don't have to be with a family. Don't feel like, I can't come, I don't have a family. That no, we want to pray for you. You can be a family of one because you're part of a family of one. Jesus, amen? We're all part of the family of God. And so, but we're going to bring you in a family units at a time. The elders are going to be here. Uh, Pastor John will be here. We're gonna, the lights will be off. Joy will be anointed on the keyboards with some uh, communion music. And we're going to serve you communion individually by yourselves, lay hands on you, pray for you, and speak the word over you. And I can't think of a better way to start the new year, especially when you hear what we have to say this morning about communion. Probably some things you maybe never heard before. And if they have, great, may they be reassured. But turn with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now let me, 
uh, clarify a couple things real quickly about the church in Corinth. There's some information in 1st and 2nd Corinthians that is not applicable to the other churches that were already existing in what is known as the known world. Uh, the church in Corinth was a special church and there's some instructions in Corinthians that does not apply to the church at Ephesus. Uh, the church in Corinth was a hub. It was a, a, a place of mass transit went through. All the trade from the east went through going to the west, and all the trade from the west went through Corinth going to the east. And most all the trade, not all the trade, but most all the trade from the south going to the north went to Corinth, and most all the trade from the north. Now, there was other routes, north and south, but the ones east and west, they all went through Corinth. But a town of maybe 900,000 people, 600, 600, 900,000, that's a big city for back then. And it was the center. That's why it was so important for this church to be there because, uh, because of the influence of the gospel reaching people as they went backwards and forwards and through. And God could get a hold of one person and send them all the way over here with the gospel. All right? And, and, but because of that, see, we could sit there and look at all the negative. Here's the negative. Uh, the Romans had a term for Corinth. It was called um, Corinthianality. There was a Roman term, Corinthianality, because it was a church, the place of fornication, the city of fornication, is where there was so much sin and debauchery, and, and you had all these mixed cultures coming this way, mixed cultures coming this, and they all come, and all this junk in the world was right here. You couldn't get a more, as we would call it today, a red light district. You know what I'm saying? They had all the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, the everything, the cheating, the biting, the stealing, the, everything was right there. And so it was known, there was a phrase that came up called Corinthianality. It was it's known as the, the city of fornication. And so this is why it was so important for Paul to make mention of ladies uh, talking about putting a veil on their face and, and, and not being like the, because they had to separate themselves from the, <laughs> family Sunday. Oops. You know, does everybody, can everybody feel in the gap? The nice ladies had to separate themselves by the way they dress from the nice not ladies. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You know, fill in the blanks. And so there were some instructions for them and there were some things that Paul encouraged them to do. Uh, and because of the Corinthianality of the mindset, flesh and, and having your way in the, just all about you. It almost sounds like America, doesn't it? Where everything focused around you was a problem. That's why in chapter 11, he talks about those that, that come together and they, they, they would have meals together and they would just eat all they wanted and they wouldn't concern themselves with the people behind. It's like, it's like us having a church dinner over here and like Larry really liking the banana pudding. Okay, I know you do. I know something. And Larry going right to the banana pudding and taking the whole bowl just because he wanted the whole bowl, not leaving anything for anybody else. That's, that's Corinthianality right there now. You quit that. Because I like banana pudding. You know what I'm saying? 
So, but, but see, it was, they were all about themselves. Now see, we need to understand that in chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians, it's, there's a section there talking about when they come together to eat. Now they came together all the time. Read the book of Acts. They were about the apostles' doctrine daily. They were breaking bread together daily. So they were eating and exchanging food regularly. But it had got to the place in the church where it was a free-for-all. You came and it didn't matter. To, to the point where there were people that were hungry that didn't have any food. And the people that had plenty were still filling their bellies first before taking care of the ones that didn't. That's what was going on. And then he turns and say, says, That what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. All right? Then he says this. Look up here in chapter 11, verse 23. That was 17 through 22. And in 23 it says this. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night that in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now we're going to talk about the body. We're going to talk about the blood. And in each time it said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, I love the way this starts. And you need to put, some, this is where we kind of put two and two together. For it says, for I have received this from the Lord. Do you realize that the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not even been written yet? Do you realize the Apostle Paul wasn't in the upper room at the day of Pentecost when Jesus said, this is my body? Did you ever think about that? Now, wait a minute. I, I can tell that you're not putting two and two together yet. Now, wait a minute. Jesus had his disciples in the upper room and was having the Lord's Supper. It was literally at what is called the Seder meal. There's 15 steps to the Seder meal. We get into this in more detail around Easter and Palm Sunday, but there's 15 steps to the Seder meal. And within the process of the Seder meal, Jesus, amongst his 12 disciples, stopped and said, Now, wait a minute, this right here is my body. And explained, uh, he took the matzah tosh and took the matzah out of the center section of the matzah. He broke it. He said, This is my body. It's been broken for you. Now, see, what we need to understand is all the blessings that come through the body of Jesus Christ and all that took place in the body of Jesus Christ, and we don't have all the time it takes to do that. But by His stripes we are what? And where were those stripes placed? On His body. And not only is there healing, but where did He take on sin? In His flesh, thank you. Not in His soul, not in His spirit. In His flesh He took on sin. Where did He take on the judgment for all man's sin? In his flesh, on his body, not in his soul and not in his spirit, but in his flesh. So when he takes the body, when the, when the Bible says, and the word of the Lord says to do this in remembrance of me, which we're going to do tonight, he said, remember. Now you've got to remember that this hadn't happened yet when Jesus is telling the disciples. He hadn't died on the cross yet. So wonder what they were thinking about sitting around a table at the, the Seder meal and Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to partake of this meal with you. I'm going to wait till it 
the kingdom manifests first. Then I'll partake with you. But over here it says, listen, do this in remembrance of me. See, I believe he was setting the stage for this event to take place. Now, he's not promoting the whole Seder meal in the new covenant. He took two things out of the Seder meal and said, do this in remembrance of me. Because you've got to remember, Paul wasn't in the room when he told his disciples had, when they had the Seder meal. Paul said, I received this from the Lord. I believe this took place during the three years after his conversion when he was off in the desert by himself receiving and being taught by Jesus himself. And Jesus spoke the same words he spoke to the disciples, he spoke to, to Paul so he could carry this message to the Gentile world. Okay? Now you've got to remember there's two schools of thought here. There's the Gentile way of thinking and the Jewish way of thinking. That's it. The Jewish way of thinking is Seder meal. And we can focus on that. And I, I love the Seder meal. I love all the different steps of it. But I don't practice it. I use it in a teaching thing to show how God was revealing himself in their traditions. But that Seder meal did not transfer over into the Gentile world. Two things did. The body and the blood. You don't have to worry about the shank bone, the bitter herb. You don't worry about any of that. You just concentrate. Jesus said, hey, do these two in remembrance of me. And in his body, see, see, here's the thing about a seed. Jesus was the seed of Abraham, right? And what did we talk about several weeks ago about a seed that's being planted? What's a seed have to do to be planted? A seed has to die. Got a question? How could Jesus have died if there was no sin in him? Wow. He had to become who knew no so he could die. Because he couldn't have died. Funny how God planned that from the very beginning. Death into the world by one man's sin. By the first Adam. Man. Because a seed, Jesus, well, the seed couldn't have died to reproduce more without death. You can't have death without sin. So Jesus had to become sin who knew no sin. So he could die. So his seed could be multiplied and produced. That's powerful. Need to think about that for a while. So here we have the process where Paul has received this instruction of the Lord himself. I'll just read it again. It says, For I reckon from the Lord that, or excuse me, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So that's taking you back to the Passover meal, the Seder meal before he was crucified. And when he had given thanks, he took bread and said, and took it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. Now, I love this passage of Scripture and this story. We say it kind of jovially and joke, well, uh, you know, make fun of it. But in, in Jonah, uh, there was something that changed Jonah's life. Jonah in the belly of the whale. All the kids know Jonah in the belly of the whale. All right. Well, this, this little part of the service is for you because Jonah's in the belly of the whale and he's down there choking and he's like, he, he thinks he's all drowning and he, he, in his mind, he, he tells himself that his soul fainted unto death, that he was going to be down there forevermore. But we know, uh, all of the smart, intelligent uh, adults in the church know that, that no circumstance lasts forever. I'll just put it that way. Let's put it this way so everybody can understand that Jonah was going to come out of that well one way or the other. No circumstance. He was going to come out. That circumstance was going to change. Vomit was a good word. He could come out as vomit or he could come out as, oh, I better not go there. And there's a whole lot more pressure coming out the other way. But what changed his surrounding? What changed his situation? He remembered his God. No, it just says he remembered his God. He remembered his God. He didn't remember him. That's all he was doing is in there thinking about him. And the more he thought about him, the tighter it got. <laughs> Does that sound familiar with your circumstances? Yeah. The more you think about you, the more you wrap yourself up in your own little world, the tighter it's going to get. You'll come out. But he remembered his God. That's why the Bible says, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so Christ was in the grave three days. Because even death, if you remember your Father God, and no matter what circumstance you go through, Jesus is saying here, do this in what? Remembrance of. Now, I, I, I know communion. I've been involved. Listen, I was a Methodist youth pastor for a year, and we got to do communion. If you've never done, com, uh, done communion in the Methodist church, I mean, you're talking about reverent people. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying anything disrespectful at all about Methodist. I'm just saying reverent people. But no relationship. A lot of reverence. Not much relationship. I've been involved in faith churches. Oh, they got they got relationship. They ain't got no reverence. It's not about this or that. It's about the two coming together. That's why Paul said, Grace and peace from God our Father. To understand. To understand, I mean, I, I remember the day I got revelation. God showed me in his word that no, I was sitting on the porch, right, right here, this happened right over here at the house, right behind Greg and Donna's. I mean, I'm sitting on the porch, and I heard the question. It was like 5.30 in the morning. He says, what's it take to be a father? That's what I heard. Heard that from heaven. I said, children. And the light went on. Because I was asking the question, about Father and God. And the reason no one in the Old Covenant ever called him Father because he weren't, they weren't his children. He didn't have any children in the Old Covenant. 
Man, that lit, my, that lit my world up right there. I said, oh, I was saved to be in the family of God, to be a child of His. Not according to what I can do, but according to what He can do through me. I was saved for this. He saved the best wine for, go ahead and get drunk. My gift is not for me. My gift is for you. Your fruit is not for you. Your fruit is for me. No apple tree eats its own apples. It's for the people walking by to partake of. I'll tell you what. The scripture here says, Jesus said, do this in remembrance. I, I pray with all my heart that as you take communion tonight and we break that bread for you, that you stand in remembrance that no matter what you're going through, you remember what he did in his body, what was accomplished in his body, in his flesh, that the judgment for all man's sin was paid for. By his stripes you're healed. People have been healed and delivered. Prosperity, everything, all the promises of God are yes and amen in his flesh. Provisioned land living is over. Where's that coming at? Let me show you. Jesus hung on the cross. He's on the cross. He said, It is finished. He didn't say, I am. He said, It. He did not say, I'm finished. Because he wasn't. We'll get into more on this around Easter. Because the scripture tells us before he ascended, he first descended to the lower parts of the earth. He took captivity captive. He led them free. In the book of Matthew chapter 27, he said, he was the first to come out of the grave. And after that, all the other saints came in behind him. And he was the first one to take his blood into the heavenlies and sprinkle it seven times on the altar. Why seven? We won't get into that. We'll have to wait till Easter. See, he still wasn't done. Even after he delivered his blood. And the book of Hebrews says that blood is a sign. You have to have proof of death before a, a contract is ratified. And before the old covenant came to an end, Jesus had to prove that the final sacrifice had been paid. And it is finished, meaning the old covenant, the old way of living, provision, provisioned land living is over Promised land living is available. God, the promises of God are yes and amen. We don't have promises. How can I say this? We, we talked about this in detail. If I told you I was going to be here at 10 o'clock and I was here at 10 o'clock, is that a promise? No, that is a reality. Jesus, God said we would be in us. God said that we're complete in Christ. God said that He's not going to dwell out here, He's going to dwell in here. It's not something. God said He was going to inhabit us. Over here in the Old Covenant, He didn't inhabit people. He inhabited the praises of his people. In the new covenant, he inhabits his people. The church is still trying to 
get God to show up and we should be just letting him out. Work out our salvation. Christ in us is the hope of glory. The word glory is the reality of God. Now think about that. Christ in us, the truth that Christ is in us is the hope of God's reality on this earth. He put himself in us so we could allow him to come out and express his opinion. And all we need to do is express his opinion. Let that glory out. Let that power out. Let that life out. Most people in church are still trying to get life themselves. Jesus came to bring us life and life. I tell you what, sometimes I could just slap what I hear on TV. I could slap some that I've listened to in my own personal life. (laughs) You know, people saying to have Jesus come into your life and he'll make your life better. What a bunch of hogwash. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't that God's going to come in Jesus and make your life better. It's that you come into his life and you live his way and do things his way and you say his words and you make his different, not yours. It's not about you. See, that's almost like the church in Corinth where everything's about you. Self-improvement program. All churches are about a self-improvement program. Oh, come to church. Learn how to pay your bills with a smile on your face. (laughs) Makes a preacher cuss. (laughs) It's not about you being, living, living with Jesus in your life. It's about you living in his life. Jesus came to bring you life, His. And that life is more abundant than the one you're living and trying to fix up. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Quit trying to fix up your life. Just go ahead and die. And step into His. And let Him rule and reign. That's why it says, let the peace of God rule your heart. Most of us trying to get peace between our neighbors just so our circumstance. No, let the peace of God rule in your heart. You've got to know that the war's over. God's not mad at you no more. Yeah, but I sin. It doesn't matter. That price, that, that sin's already been paid for. Remember, do this in remembrance of me. So when you have communion this, t- tonight, when you come back, just remember, price of sin's already been paid for. That communion is not paying the price for sin like some people have been taught. When the scripture says there, take it, don't take this unworthily, it's not saying, oh, you gotta be home. Oh, oh. It's not about you making sure you've done everything right and getting all this squared away. Uh, I've heard it taught, oh, don't even come to the altar. Oh, and I know what the scripture says about that. I'm not being ignorant to what the scripture says, but it's not about you doing things right. It's about, taking it unworthily is about you thinking you can do something right. That's taking it unworthy. You can't do it right. Taking it worthily is knowing that he did it right. That's what the apostle Paul was talking about. And then the scripture goes on and says, listen, for you that take it unworthily, you bring judgment on to yourself. 
It's not God judging you. It's you stepping, because you're still doing it under your own authority, your own power, your own ability. And it's about you being right and you being wrong. Quit eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Quit it. It's not about you doing right and wrong. It's that Jesus, remember his body that was broken for you. It's about what he did right. That's taking it worthily. This goes all the way back. Look what, okay, everybody's been waiting for this. I know you have. Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi, I believe it is chapter 3. All famous scripture. Everybody knows this scripture. All the guilt and condemnation has been put on people with this scripture. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. For you are cursed with a curse. See, people say, God will curse you if you don't tithe and don't, don't give your offerings. God will curse you. How many people have heard that before? That's not what it says. It doesn't say God's going to curse you. It says because of what you have done and what you don't do, you choose to live under cursing or blessing. Just like we're going to read over here when we talk about communion, when you take communion wrongly, unworthily, there's two ways of taking communion. In the finished work of Calvary or in the religious form of you doing it right. If you do it under the religious form, you're reaping judgment upon yourself and you're putting yourself, you're still living in the world of cursing. Do you see that? Or you can take it worthily in the finished work of Calvary where it's already done, it's already completed. God's not cursing you, you're choosing to live under the curse that's already in the world. Does you realize the world is cursed? I wasn't very good. I heard one yes. Do you realize the world had been cursed? Yes. Listen to this. Listen to the flavor of this. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, uh, but, uh, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings you are cursed. I can just finger God, bless God. I'm going to get money from these people. Look at verse 10. Bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out unto you such blessings, oh, how can he do this to people that are cursed? How can he pour out, open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on cursed people? He can't. No wonder we're confused. How can you be cursed and blessed at the same time? His heart isn't to curse you. His heart is to bless you. Amen. Well, I'll let y'all chew on that one. Here's another one. Genesis chapter 3, where man messed up. And it literally says that Adam listened to his wife. And God said, how many people, I remember Christ for the nations today, we were in Carol Thompson's class. I, mean, I remember the day. Joy's sitting right here. I'm sitting right here. We had a couple of the radical people in the front row. And Carol Thompson, the top of his syllabus for the, that day was God's curse on man. And we sat there and we just kind of went, 
Wait a minute. It's got that little honorary thing just begin to rise up. You know what I'm saying? But, Pastor Carol, it doesn't say God cursed man. Man of God that he is, humble in all his ways, he opened up his Bible. You know what? It doesn't. And he changes syllables. Because nowhere does it say that God cursed man for eating of the tree of the knowledge, good and evil. Cursed the ground for man's sake. And because the ground was cursed, now man was going to have to till it and sweat by his brow and women because they, they chose to enter a world that God didn't want them to live in. Wait a minute. Provision land. You can choose by living and doing things under your ability, your strength, your power over here and live in the curse and reap sickness and disease on yourself or you can live in the promised land. You can keep believing for healing or you can declare health. As long as you're trying to get healed, you'll always need to get healed. As long as you, well, I got healed, hallelujah. Well, if you're not believing for he, uh, health, you'll need to get healed again. Yeah. <laughs> the promised land says we can have divine health, that we can walk healthy. Not for your sake. And we can walk wealthy. Not for your pocketbook, like the Corinthianality. But for others, for the establishment of the kingdom. For the gospel to go forth and to caring for other people. See, this is, communion is a heart issue, people. Let me show you what else that takes place. We talked about the, the, what, what happened with the body. Let's talk about the blood. It said, we don't even need to read it. You know what it says. He says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. See, I'll just say it this way. I'm calm down. Sorry. I got family here. I don't want to see me get all excited. They'll think I turned out to be a preacher. <sighs> okay, listen, listen. The body, the bread represents the old covenant coming to an end and being over with. Jesus held, then held up the cup of the new covenant. Why? Because the bread represents the old. Why would you talk about the new covenant without talking about what was the old? So when we take, see, the new covenant is promised land living. It's living in his kingdom. It's living in his, his sonship. You're not servants of God. Over here they were servants of God. You see this? Over here they were servants. So when the scripture in the New Testament says, oh, we need to be servants. How many people at church heard that you need to be servants? Come serve the church. And you get yourself worth from your servantability. I just make up these words. It fits better. You're not called to be servants. You're called to be sons that serve. Because when you serve as a son, you're serving because it's already done. You're serving because you care for other people. A servant only does what it does to get his daily... The prodigal son came back not to be a son. He came back to be a... Because servants had their daily 
Get out of this. Get out of this. Get out of this. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and read some more here. Because I want you to see what this says here in 1 Corinthians. You may not be enjoying this, but I am. It's all about me anyway, right? <laughs> Corinthianality. So you learned a new word today, right? I don't know what he said, but he said something about Corinthianality, and I, I don't want to go there. All right? At least I hope you don't want to go there. It says this, uh, verse 24, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, I still think that's cool that Jesus had to show him this because he wasn't in the room. That's cool. This cup is the cup, the covenant, excuse me, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I know the blood paid the price. You know, it was the sign of death. It was, see, Calvary is the sign of something coming to an end. It's not the sign of something beginning. We need to understand that. We don't get our victory at the cross. Now, you say that in some churches, they'll be walking out on you. We get our victory from the resurrection. We get our life from the resurrection. We focus on Passover. And, and, and again, I'm going to share this. You need to understand, over here in the children of Israel, what was, their, what was the main thing that they even today, they, they, they celebrate Passover. Were they passed over? Absolutely. What was the next step? Being led of the Spirit. What was the next step? Being baptized. But was being passed over the reason they were passed over? Was the reason they were baptized just so they could be baptized? Was the reason they were led of the Spirit to be led of the Spirit? No! The reason they were saved, baptized, led of the Spirit is so they could live in promised land living. Most churches are just teaching Calvary. They're not teaching kingdom of heaven principles. Look what it says here. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim... What do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death. And what is being proclaimed in His death? It is finished. So when you partake of the bread and drink of the cup, you're saying that the old covenant has come to an end. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, 13, 14, and 15 says that that old covenant was nailed to a cross and taken out of our way. The old covenant was removed. Paul did not teach the old covenant. He didn't teach the history. He taught the mystery. He said, this grace was given that I preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches and to make all see what is the mystery which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Man. He didn't teach the Seder meal. He taught what Jesus taught him to teach about the Seder meal. Two things. His body and the blood. Let's go ahead and look at the rest of this. 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, if you know the, the body and the blood has made you whole in Christ, for you to think something else makes you whole, you've just take, if you think communion is going to make you whole and complete and blessed, you've just taken it unworthily. Taking communion worthily is knowing that it's already finished. I don't know if you're going to get that. Maybe you will. I'll let the Holy Ghost dwell on you. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for, the, for he eats and drinks into... Excuse me. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Who is the source of bringing judgment? You are. It's your choice to do it this way or to do it that way. If you do it in an unworthy manner, you're still living under the curse and you're bringing those curses, the judgment of the curse upon you. If you say, I'm going to live like the rest of the world lives, you're going to get what the rest of the world gets. It's not God putting it on you. You have chosen to live like the world, and the wages of sin is what? Death. You can be born again, spirit-filled, going to heaven, and live hell on earth because of the choices you make. It's that simple. And everybody, that's why I've got, that's why there's a long, like I said, it's a joke. There's a long line of people waiting for me to counsel them because I just tell them the truth. If you, don't, if you don't like the life you're living, make different choices than what you've made. But most people don't make different choices. They leave my office living the same life they've always lived because they don't want to make different choices than what they made because what they got, they got because of what they did. If you want something you never had, you've got to do with something you've never done. Most people have never let the Word of God impact their doing. You can hear it all day long, but until you allow it... See, if you take communion in an unworthy manner... See, what's the action? Taking communion. If you take it in an unworthy manner, then you're going to get what that unworthy manner produces. If you take it as of the world, you're going to get the world. If you take it as of God, you're going to get godly. It's that simple. This is not say, well, no. If you think that you can do anything to make yourself holy, Jesus died in vain. I'm going to say that one more time. If you think in your little... I didn't say that. I didn't say that, but I'm going to quote. I didn't, I didn't say that y'all had a pea brain. I didn't say that, but it's your... I'm, I'm going to quote it. If you think in your little mind that what you do makes you right with God, Jesus died in vain. Now, I can't find anybody. Well, I, sh I shouldn't say that because there's some really stupid people out there, but I was, I, I, I was going to say that I can't find anybody. That that Most people understand. Yeah, I I don't believe I can do anything to make myself more right with God. Then, if you agree to that, you also have to say you can't do anything to make yourself unright with God. 
If you can't do anything to make yourself more righteous, you can't do anything to make yourself unrighteous. Because it's not about you. So if you take communion thinking it's making you more holy, one of the things we learn in heart physics, and I've got a few more minutes, one of the things we learn in heart physics, what's the first law of physics? Or what we call the first law of physics. I really don't think there's an order. But what we call, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So in heart physics, it's the same law that prevails. That if you say, I must become a good Christian, you've just told yourself that you're not one. And the same energy you put forth in trying to become something, you've just reassured yourself that you're not nothing. Thus, we get into the series of works, trial and error, and pretty soon you just give up trying to do. See, most Christians are trying to become something they already are. We already are children of God. We already are agape by God, loved unconditionally. We already have the promises of God, our yes and amen, but we're still trying to get our daily bread. See, if you're trying to get your daily bread, that means you don't got it. So a man thinks in his mind, so he will experience. If you think you're no good, if you tell yourself I must be better, you're telling yourself you're not. Man. Remember, we talked we started talking about heart the how God put his nature in nature. And the physics is the, how nature works. Right? So I say it this way. Physics is how God made nature to work. If you understand nature, you can understand how God, how you work. It's real simple. It's real simple. That's why taking communion unworthily is you taking it, me, me thinking it's making you more righteous. Because it's not. Let me go ahead and read the rest of this. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning, what? Not discerning the Lord's body. Not understanding what took place on the Lord's body. Not understanding all that happened because of the Lord's body. Not understanding the stripes. Not understanding the sin. Not understanding that the judgment has already been poured out upon the Lord's body. It's already poured out. And if you take communion not understanding that, you're not discerning what's already been done. You're taking communion in an unworthy manner. For this reason, listen to this. What reason? By taking, by not understanding what took place at Calvary. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Have you ever wondered why so many people don't walk in victory because they don't understand what took place at Calvary? That's what it's saying. In, that, in a nutshell, that's what it's all saying, is for us to understand what took place 
with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ because if you don't understand that, there'll be many sick and asleep among you. There won't be victory. There won't be, uh, you won't be a witness. You won't be, you won't be walking in the power and the authority of, of, of God on this earth because we don't understand the victory that's ours. We don't understand that the work's already done. We'll still be a victim instead of a victor. We must understand. See, it's not that God's putting you sick and making you sleep. It's that we're choosing, because of our ignorance, we're choosing to live in a cursed world instead of a promised land, instead of a kingdom here on this earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not in heaven someday, but don't none go with me, but right here and now. Right here and now. Come on, church, this is better than you're letting on. I'm serious. This is, this is, this is better news than you've heard in a long time. Communion is not about you doing everything right. It's about us celebrating that He has done everything right. I'll tell you, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do communion like I really feel communion needs to be done. We are going to have a party. We're going to have the... But we're going to celebrate. We're going to praise and worship music. We're going to have fireworks, banners, streamers. And we're going to celebrate the goodness of our God pouring out His wrath on His Son so we don't have to experience it. Man, that is good news. How many people come to communion? I'm sorry. I I I don't want to make fun of people. Yeah, I do. I'm sorry. Um... Did I say that out loud? I hate Mike sometimes. They give it away. Listen, it's not a time to be sad. It's a time to be happy. Amen. Yeah. Listen, every, you, you can get sad. I'm all, you can be free to get sad if you want to. Cry. Uh-huh. Think, about all, think about all he did to suffer for you. I'm thinking about, listen, he didn't get sad for himself. Why are you getting sad for him? Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't be sad for Jesus. Oh, that doesn't sound very religious. Listen, who for the joy set before him endured the cross? For his pleasure. He saw the end result. He was going to be more happy than the pain. He was going to be more pleased than the... That was nothing compared to this glory that was going to be placed in us. Who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was willing to go through that for you because he knew he was going to be in you. That it wasn't just going to be him on this earth, but he was going to place himself in you. And you were going to be on this earth. He was the first seed of many brethren yet to come. Come on. That's communion. And I give in to that. I'm sorry. I, we, dark lights. But oh, let's celebrate, church. Amen. Stand up. Amen. Stand up. We're done.